We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast here with myself, Dan Schneier, and Nick Turchin. We are here to deliver you, deliver you today the preview of the Giants-Jaguars game. Obviously, we don't have game tape from the 2018 season yet to work with, but we will. We are very excited when we do get the chance to dive into it starting this next week for the Dallas Cowboys preview next week. But we do have a lot to work with anyway based on what we saw from the 2017 season and based on what we saw from this preseason. So, Without any further ado, I'm going to send it over to Nick and see how he's doing today. I always, always ask him how he's doing. How are you doing today, Nick? <laughs> doing good. A lot more psyched that it's week one. And like you said, there will be tape and there's a game tonight, which is tremendous. Yes. And, uh, get to watch an in-division foe and get some notes there. And uh, yeah, it'll be re- really good. Really psyched to be here, man. Yeah, it's really exciting to get the NFL season underway. I know if you're like me, and you probably are, if you're listening to a podcast like this one, which is pretty much very technical and in-depth for the most part, um, you've probably just been dying for this NFL season to get going again, waiting through August. It sucks because it's like your summer is passing away, but at the same time, you're looking forward to something so great that's coming, and that's the NFL. I can't wait. So we're going to dive right into it with a little bit of news notes. Uh, It's Thursday. Olivier Vernon, Giants' top pass rusher, starting right outside linebacker, is not practicing again. Uh, we do know now, based on what Pat Shermer finally revealed, that he's been very Bill Belichick-esque in his secrecy about these injuries. We do know he is dealing with a high ankle sprain. Um, to what extent, we don't know. I will say this. We don't know the grade of that high ankle sprain. I doubt we're going to find that out. Uh, <laughs> Giants have been keeping a lot of these injuries and just news in general under wraps on the new regime and they and obviously after last year with the leak from the players in the locker room you know talking about their dismay uh and Justina Anderson got a lot of that those inside scoops I think that they're going to kind of 
keep things under wraps. So we don't know the extent of it, but when you're not practicing on Thursday, it's highly unlikely you're playing on Sunday. So I wouldn't expect Vernon to play, even though Bat Shermer, the head coach, didn't rule it out. And Vernon himself says he's feeling a lot better. Uh, when you look back at the 2017 season, Vernon first suffered the high ankle sprain. Uh, sim- we don't know if it's the same ankle again. Shermer won't give us any information, but he did suffer a high ankle sprain against the Bucks in week four in that loss. Um, tried to rush back from it, re-aggravated it, and was really never the same in 2017. So I think it's smart play by the Giants to sit him out, and I keep sitting him out until this thing's all the way back. Uh, obviously, it sucks. I mean, I think he's the most important player on this defense. I've said that before. I know Nick's going to get into a little bit why he thinks the Giants can still be fine from a pass rush standpoint against the Jaguars, at least, without him. But, you know, at the same time, I'd rather have a fully healthy Vernon for the rest of the season uh, and miss more games. Uh, Nick, did you have anything to add there? Do you, uh, I, I, by the way, Tay Davis also injured, not playing. Obviously, a back-end special teams guy who they like as an inside linebacker long-term. Probably not factoring into 2018 plans. Lorenzo Carter was actually added to the injury report today on Thursday out of nowhere with an illness, but I don't think it's anything too serious, and he's expected to start in Vernon's place. Um, so, Nick, what do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have to say about the Vernon injury? I think, you know, obviously it sucks to miss a guy like that, um, like you said, and, and he had a pretty good preseason, showed it, you know, at least the beginnings of of, uh, of showing production in better system. But I do like the depth on the, on the, at the OLB side of things. Right. So I don't think that it was the situation where they needed an, an excellent pass rusher to go against an excellent tackle consistently all game. Again, it's not to really belittle Jacksonville's tackles; they're kind of the better end of their of their offensive line. But I, it's not it's not a star studded cast, so I don't think his, it was necessarily needed. As well as the fact that you have guys like Barwin and and guys like Carter, although I guess he was sick apparently, like you said, uh, you know, I'm still okay there for for that side of the of the house. Yeah, and if you look at really this, Cam Robinson, the Jaguars offensive tackle, they took him in the beginning of the third round, the 2017 NFL draft. Um, he had a lot of help last year from what I saw when I rewatched some of their games. He had a lot of help from tight ends, from backs. Um, he might get that again versus the Giants, but the point is when he was one-on-one, I was not overly impressed. And in practice after Vernon's high ankle sprain, it was actually uh, Olivia, I'm sorry, Lorenzo Carter and Romeo Aquara who they turned to getting those first-team reps on base downs, it was Aquara. On the passing downs, it was it was it was Carter. And I actually think they're just going to seamlessly transition whatever snaps they gave to Aquara since he's now recently been released, um, and give them to Connor Barwin, who's now full go, fully healthy. I actually spoke with him on the phone last week uh, about another project he's doing in the in the Philadelphia community. He's going to eventually take to the Giants community. This is a guy who does a lot of good work in the community um, outside of football, and he told me he's a full go. You know, he really improved and benefited from all the time off that Pat Shermer gave him during training camp. And that was really the smart play. Shermer's really, really cautious. We've learned this about injuries. With a veteran like Barwin, you, you just don't need to rush him back on the field. So I think I'm with you, Nick, against Cam Robinson. And then on the flip side, if they if they line up on the other side uh, against Parnell, I think they can really have the advantage even without Vernon there. And other news um, on the other side of the thing, uh, Jaguars don't have many injuries to really talk about. But Austin Sverian Jenkins, who missed practice all week, is actually returned to practice on Thursday. Is this someone the Giants have to be worried about when you consider, A, the Giants struggled all season in 2017 and dating further back to defend tight ends, and then, B, they continued those struggles in the preseason against the Browns. Um, so is this something you're worried about with Austin Sverian Jenkins? To me, ASJ has been more named than game since he entered the NFL. So I'm personally not very worried about it. Uh, and if you look at it, Blake Bortles has had a lot of tight ends 
come through that were supposed to be great with him. Um, the guy, I'm forgetting his name, the kid who played the, the old Bron, the guy who broke out with Peyton Manning and then was never good. Julius Thomas, uh, that's one. Mercedes Lewis never did anything in the passing game there. That may be more on Lewis. Uh, I don't know. Clay Harbor for a while. People thought he'd do something with Bortles. So I'm not worried about ASJ, even given the Giants' struggles at tight end. I think Ray Ray Armstrong will play a big role. What do you think about that, Nick? Uh, you know, it's interesting. He's a guy, he's 6'5", he's 262. I think we have to mention that because, to be totally frank, I didn't remember that until I watched. Yeah. Uh, and that's sad because I did watch a bit of, of Jets tape from last year, so I should have had a familiarity, but I didn't until I turned the tape back on. I was like, oh, that this is that guy. Um, you know, solid hands, but he wins with size. Uh, he moves pretty well within that, but he's more of a lumbering tight end. And why I'm hot pointing this out is that is the tight ends that Ogletree had trouble with just specifically to hit the issue right on the head were, were guys that were, were elusive speed guys that were a little bit smaller, a little bit quicker, a little bit more fluid in their breaks. That's not Jenkins. Um, Jenkins has solid play strength, play strength. Like I said, he's got solid hands, but where he really flashes and, and to be frank, the only place he flashes is in the red zone. Uh, on fades, he and, and other routes, he really shows his, his athleticism there. Can high point balls there. So I think you know, for anything, it's it's almost a direct replacement to Lewis's to Mercedes Lewis's ability down in the red zone, um, and and with with him being gone now. And so I think that you know that's that's where the Giants have to worry. But in the end, they would have had to worry about him there anyway. Uh, the Jets moved him out as lone X receiver on a few on a few plays in the red zone last year. So it could be a corner dealing with him. It could be Ogletree. You know, again, a, a threat, but not not something like the other tight ends in in this league where you're going to have real worries. I think. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Nick. Again, you're right. He did make an impact in the red zone, but you know that's that, that's really the only place that where he so far made an impact in the NFL. And to me, it hasn't been very consistent either. So let's dive a little more into the matchup. That's really all the news. There's not much news. I mean, it's week one. Not many injuries on either side of the ball. But as we dive a little more into the matchup, on paper, it certainly looks like it's going to be a difficult one for the Giants' offense. I mean, the Jaguars ranked second in the NFL last season in points allowed, 16.8 per game. Total defense, 286.1 yards allowed per game. That's it. And in sacks, with 55 sacks, uh, the second most in the NFL last year. And that's something Mike Shula talked about today, uh, Giants offensive coordinator. And I think the best way, there's going to be ways for them to slow down this pass rush. Um, Nick, do you want to dive into, can the Giants slow down this pass rush? How can they do it? Um, what are your thoughts on that based on what you've seen? Yeah, sure. So a few ways right off the bat. I threw this out on Twitter, I think, in the middle of the last game, last or the week three preseason game, uh, if guys saw it there. Uh, so just, again, I'm repeating myself. But I think the big part is the is play action. And play action is not just a play to suck in the second-tier linebackers um, and then throw over the top of their heads. The play action allows the offense to set as if they were running. So they were running the ball. So they run at the defensive lineman and basically jump set them and engage that way. And that's going to, that really kind of shakes up how the offensive, how the defensive line fires off the ball and how they continue what they read. So that's one way to slow them down immediately without, even if the play action is that the play itself is not successful. Those very looks are going to slow down, are going to slow down the pass rush. The other side of this to, that is very interesting is I think the giants, if you want to do a little bit of self-scouting, are very susceptible, almost like the Eagles were at the beginning part of last year, very susceptible to interior stunts. And this is, yep. not, a, this is not a team that does that that often. Most of their the, – the, overall, the Jaguars are kind of a line them up, let them go, let them fly downhill type of defense in the, uh, in the Gus Bradley kind of tra- – or 
yeah, Gus Bradley, yeah, it, the, that in that tradition. Um, so I'm if the, if they were if they stunted more and kind of came and shot gaps a little bit more to the inside in in those types of line games, I'd be I'd be a little bit more worried. Um, I you know it's definitely going to be a, a pro, an issue and and something to focus on, but I don't think it's going to be a, a showstopper. To be fair. Yeah, and that's a good point, Nick, because obviously Bradley's not there anymore, but the new defensive scheme didn't really change much from where he left off. And when you have that kind of talent on the defense side of the ball that the Jaguars have, you can do what you just said. You can line them up, and you could play very straightforward defense. But also, like you said, and this is something Shul actually pointed out, Giants off of the coordinator again today, he said that's the, type, that's the type of defense they are. They're really aggressive, and they rally to the football. Um, so because of that, there's definitely ways to combat that. And that's kind of what we were talking about throughout the offseason, what I was talking about even earlier before we started this podcast. Even if the play-action pass isn't, uh, the play-action passing game isn't actually working that well, it's still just changing schematically. What, and, and just from a you know overall standpoint, what the defense can do and what they can throw at you. So I'm with you. I'm excited to see the Giants come out you know, in those heavy personnel packages on early downs and really – Get the Jaguars guessing. That's going to be the best way, in my opinion, they can beat a defense that's this elite. It's getting the the you know the defense guessing and getting them away from just pinning their ears back. And that's a really, really, really interesting point I thought you brought up about the defensive stunts on the defensive line. Because if you look back throughout the 2017 season, it's really funny to me because it's unbelievable that you know they it wasn't there was no improvement in this area, but the Giants offensive line was really bad against defensive line stunts. Like it's right. literally what the Cowboys did twice in a row against them. And somehow they were able to bring it back late in the season and have it work again. The first, the first game against the Cowboys last year was literally completely derailed by his defensive line stunts. Um, the Cowboys rushed four. They don't even have that many dynamic pass rushers on their line outside of DeMarcus Lawrence. And yet they were able to get consistent pressure. Obviously part of that was, and I charted this game. McAdoo only used more than five blockers, I think, on five total snaps that whole game, which was embarrassing, and to say the least, with that offensive line. And after making no adjustment to how the, the offensive line was was playing these defensive line stunts. But, you know, if the Jaguars are going to line up and play the, the Giants straight up, and I do believe you're right on that, Nick, I think it's going to work to their advantage because, like you said, they have struggled, especially on that right side, um, with defensive line stunts. And when I was diving into a little more of this Jaguars team from the 2017 season, what they did well, you know, the few things they did poorly, I was trying to look for weaknesses. And one area they were a little bit weak in, at least according to pro football focus, was they had the 12th worst team in 2017 and overall special teams. And, you know, I really like the Giants addition of Thomas McGehee, the special teams coordinator, actually revealed today he's dealing with a form of cancer. Um, but he's getting treatments and he plans to continue working. And according to Football Outsiders, the Carolina Panthers are the seventh best special teams unit overall in 2017. So we're going seventh best, basically, in my opinion, versus the twelfth worst. And they did probably and they didn't have Gettleman there, you know, as their general manager. And as we've seen this offseason, Gettleman's focus on the back end of the Giants roster has been special teams, special teams, special teams, special teams. You know, he just recently signed Nate Stupar, uh, the linebacker, who's basically just, to me like uh, more of a special teams ace. What did, you know, Nick, what have you seen from Stupar? Do you think he can come in right away and help the special teams out? Yeah, I uh, definitely think he can. And like you said, that's a, that's the theme from Gettleman is all is most of his signings are guys that can at least play. And this is a Stupar is really a career special teamer, six foot two, 240 pounds. So and what's really kind of funny about him is he was born in state college, Pennsylvania, and he went to Penn state. There is no one who's more linebacker you than this guy. <laughs> 
So when you actually watch him, the, the, I'm not going to say the limited tape. It almost sounds like I'm putting him down. He's a, he, he was a career good special teams player. He's played since 12, so he, you know, he survives for good reason. But the last recent tape was really from 16. He tore his ACL last year, so that's why he didn't right. too many, too many games last year. Uh, but you know, he plays with active hands. He plays downhill, but he's that old-school linebacker. He's 6'2", six, two, six, two, like I said, 240, loves to get downhill, not super agile, kind of a little bit of a throwback. His uncle is Jeff Hostetler, have to mention that. Fact, um, you know, his brother played in the NFL. He's a, he's a, he's a he's a good NFL athlete. Um, to me, I like the signing as well because it is a little bit of a backup to BJ Goodson. Right, and I'm not saying Goodson has injury issues, but you don't want to have a thing where your your main tackling linebacker is all you have in terms of depth. Uh, I think behind him before this, it was kind of iffy, and so you know, um, Stupar did challenge. Uh, or was kind of, you know, in 16, he really played a lot of snaps as the third linebacker for the Saints, um, again, in their base package. Teams don't play base packages that often because of how many teams play, how many offenses play 11 personnel. So he played when he could, and he played well when he could in 2016. A lot of the guys in, in Saints land in terms of Twitter and the blogosphere re- really liked him as a guy and as a player. So, you know, I think good signing overall and, and, and definitely an impact right away. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point there, Nick, because, listen, you didn't want to say it, but you can say it. B.J. Goodson has been injured since he entered the the NFL with the New York Giants. He was injured all last season. It derailed what was a really good start in week one where he had 14 tackles, 10 solo against the Cowboys, um, and really was active all over the field. And if he's your number one run stopper and you have guys like Ray Ray Armstrong and Alec Ogletree who really aren't are built to, to take on, you know, to be that inside run plugger uh, in that stack linebacker position. You talk about left inside linebacker. You need a guy for depth there, and Stupar can be that guy. And before it was Calvin Munson who was kind of, you know, hanging around the roster for a while. But what I really like about this decision was, you know, Stupar may just offer more in the run game than Munson, but more importantly, he's also offering special teams help, which is something – that I think a lot of people are questioning some of the Giants' moves this offseason, especially when they put in six waiver claims and now have really upped that to eight different moves from the initial 53-man uh, roster released on Saturday to where it is now, eight new changes. And But I just think it's really following a plan, which is to get use those back-end roster spots on guys who can help you win now in special teams rather than guys like Gerald Adams who have this raw upside that Jerry Reese, the old general manager, tended to fall in love with. But at the same time, when you're hanging on to these guys with athletic upside and, and, and projecting where they might be, you're losing out on that specific season. Uh, guys who can really help you right now, guys like Stupar, you know? So I love the move personally. It's such a small move for, to, be, to be one that you love. But to me, it just goes with the overall theme that I really like. And you brought up, brought up a great point there. I mean, you need some depth behind Goodson. Um, Besides the special teams, there was one other area I felt was a weakness with this 2017 Jaguars roster. And let's not, you know, <laughs> crown them the Kings, but because a lot of it, a lot of the reason they were really good last year, in my opinion, was they were unbelievably lucky from an injury standpoint. They had, in their entire defense, they had only two games lost by starters to injury. And it was a concussion to Talvin Smith that cost them two games. That was it. So, I mean, <laughs> that's incredible amount of injury luck. But anyway, moving on from that, uh, their other weakness I found was the Jaguars' run blocking and their running game overall. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, they were in the middle of the pack as far as run blocking goes overall. Uh, Leonard Fournette averages 3.9 yards per carry, despite the fact that the Jaguars, more than any team in the NFL, had an advantage when it comes to blockers versus defenders in the box, which just goes to show they're going to use a lot of heavy personnel as well against the Giants. Um, 
What did you see as far as the biggest weakness on the run blocking want, uh, from the run blocking and offensive line in general and how the Giants can exploit it? Yeah, sure. And you brought up a good point just real quick to get to slide in the stats too on their tendencies. Uh, they're an offense, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, their offensive coordinator, who basically featured two tight end sets for about 40% of snaps last year, which is pretty high. They were second highest in 12 personnel and they were third highest in 13 person or second highest as well in 13 personnel. So they're going to throw out this, those heavier sets. And they like to mix in a fair amount of inside zone, outside zone, mid zone, and power. Uh, their power It's mostly power in their gap scheme, not a, not much else besides that. But it was basically Patrick Omeme uh, pulling in power, who is now a giant, and A.J. Can, who is their other right guard, who is basically there now. And he's kind of their weakest link on their line. And um, he's a pretty solid run blocker, though. I actually had to break him down with well over five games for the Scouting Academy this summer. So took a real real a real good look at him and where his kind of positive weaknesses are. His weaknesses show up more in pass pro. We can get to that later. But um, in terms of run blocking, I just the only thing I would say why that YPC dips a little bit for Fournette is because I think within the mix that I said they they played, when you watch their tape, I think they become a little predictable. And they become a little stubborn to running 22 personnel against an eight-man box with those eight guys filling those those holes within that gap discipline. That it, it just it, you kind of they stonewall themselves a little bit, and I don't think that isn't that's not really indicative of how um, to how Brett Blake Bortles played. I think he played really well down the playoff stretch and probably a little weaker before that going into the playoffs. So you know I, I think. Part of it's that and just a predictable offense, but an offense that is very, very dynamic and very and one that when it gets going, it's pretty streaky. You kind of have to watch out. We can dive into that more. But specifically for the run blocking, I definitely think, you know, their weakness, I would say, even with Andrew Norwell as, as the new guard that they brought on now to play left guard, I think still in their gap scheme, I don't think it's as good as it could be. And I think overall the Giants are going are gonna to win this battle. Yeah, I really think you're right on that, Nick. And I think it's going to be key to this game. They have to stop the run because – Jaguars offense is a lot like, I mean, not like the Giants offense, but they have similar ideas in mind. They want to establish the run. They want to win off the play action passing game. If you can take away the run game uh, with Leonard Fournette, you're really going to put them in a bind. Um, and if you look at it, there's one other aspect of this offense that I noticed from watching them, from rewatching them. And it's something actually that James Betcher talked about today, something that the Giants defense is going to have to be ready for all game. And that's the quick screens. They run a lot of screen passes. Corey Grant is somebody you should keep an eye on, Jaguars running back. I'm hoping the Jaguars don't play him a lot. Uh, in my opinion, they played him far too few uh, far too few snaps in 2017. Grant was a really, really big impact player on that offense, but he barely got in the game. Um, how you know? Do you think that's going to be an issue for the Giants, stopping these screen passes against the Jaguars? Uh, interestingly, I haven't thought about that one yet specifically just because I was thinking about their RPO game. I think the RPO game is the bigger issue, but to answer the screen question, um, not necessarily because the recognition from both Goodson and, and, um, and Ogletree at the second level, that's really their strength in both players regards in man or zone. And I would even go as far as to say along the defensive line, uh, you know, I think maybe, maybe, maybe to, um, to Lorenzo Carter's side, maybe that would be a you know right. he's a rookie and he doesn't see that recognition is not going to be there in his first game. I kind of have to say that. Um, so I think the screen game is not as much to worry about specifically. Uh, and again, because how how well Ogletree moves sideline to sideline. I mean, look, Giants Twitter is love to just jump on this guy, but the bottom line is he moves 
sideline to sideline as well as anyone else in the league. And he really bailed out his partner, Mark Barron, on a lot of run plays last year. Right. Um, where, where he just, he, he's very good at that type of coverage. And Goodson is very good there too. Um, I do think though, just to bring it up, the RPO side of things is something that Nathaniel Hackett loves to run and he loves to run it from outside zone, pairing it with bubble and tight end seam throws. Those I think are going to be the ones or not even tight end seam, I should say slot type of seam throws, slot slant throws. Those would be the ones that I would kind of worry about more than the screen just because they pick on a part of the Giants lineup that, again, at the linebacker side is not bad, but it's going to make the, it's going to make the Giants be disciplined. It's going to make them have to tackle very solidly in space. It's going to have to make them choose between two different evils um, for the RPO and whether to, 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 to kind of pressure the run or move towards the pass. And I think they're ultimately going to try to isolate it so they run the ball off those outside zones. But that's actually something that um, Jacksonville did very, very well against the New England defense in the championship game. And that's interesting you bring that up because I think if I really have to think about it, I am less worried about these quick screens out to the outside because, like you said, Ogletree moves well side to side. And in addition to that, you also have the advantage of Landon Collins who moves really well downhill. But at the same time, I'm definitely worried about what you just brought up because – I'm, I'm keying on Keelan Cole, who's the former undrafted rookie free agent for the Jaguars, signed last, last year. And when you watch his – when you go back and watch him in depth, he is a really, really, really good route runner for, for where he's at in his career. And I think he's going to get better and better and better. I think he's going to be their number one this year. And they line him up in the slot a lot, or at least they did last year in 2017. Obviously, the injury to Marquis Lee may change that, but I don't think so. So you put him up against B.W. Webb. And that, to me, is a matchup they can exploit, especially, like you said, if they're also doing putting them in, him in situations where he might be matched up against the linebacker in the slot. So that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Um, do you think that, you know, Cole's going to be a, a rough matchup for the Giants? Have you looked at Cole at all? I have not specifically, but that description, yeah, again, as people may tell, a lot of this, what we do for, with Dan and I is very free flow. We have not talked about this. And, yeah, I would say that's something that, you know, for me, at this stage in the Giants' secondary, too, yeah, that's going to be a tougher one. You know, if we're talking about week seven, week eight, and this is more of a gelled unit that's used to doing a lot of things and probably has a little more effective pressure, um, you know, I think that may not be as big a threat. But now, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at it. Like, here's the way I'm looking at it. Uh, Leonard Fournette should be my number one worry, but he's not. I mean, the Giants' run defense was dominant this preseason. And the Giants' run defense – or, I'm sorry, the Cardinals' run defense in James Metcher's scheme for three straight years was dominant. And it's a lot based on the scheme. We've talked about this before. There's a lot of run blitzes. And there's a lot of talent on this defensive line, especially when it comes to run stopping. Demon Harrison, Dalvin Thompson, they're two of the best run stoppers in the NFL, they really are. Damon Harrison is the best, and <laughs> Dalvin Thompson's getting there. So you had B.J. Hill. There's, we've already talked about that standpoint. So I'm not as worried about that. My two guys I'm keying on, honestly, are Keelan Cole and Corey Grant. We're going to have to see how that how that goes. But let's flip this a little bit to the other side of the ball real quick. Uh, Nick, where do, how do you see the Giants getting Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley involved from a schematic standpoint to attack this Jaguars defense? Interesting kind of way to think of it um i wrote a piece for cover one this past week and i did a little digging um for the piece and if you look at the recent uh teams that have played the jaguars and has the set have success you go back to week 16 against san francisco um and then in the afc championship game where the patriots basically came back in the last quarter uh, but both of those two teams are two of the top teams that run 21 personnel and that's two running backs one tight end and so what even Dan, uh, even Dan, Dan picked up on this uh, in the preseason. The Giants are running a little bit more twenty-one personnel than 
kind of I thought they would and a lot of people thought they would. And then if you look, they kept Shane, Shane Smith um, as a fullback and only kept three tight ends and uh, in terms of their roster moves. And that, to me, is a little bit of a tip. Not that they're not going to play 12 personnel a lot, but that's a tip to me that, hey, like they seemingly think that the, that, the, that their FB1 is, is a higher value than tight end four. Which is, you know, not a lot. A lot of teams are, are thinking that way these these days. Yep. And so, how to get those two players open? I think it's going to start off with a lot of twenty one personnel um, early in the game. I think in the, in the script, it's going to be there early. The Patriots saw in that in the AFC Championship game, the first four plays were at a twenty one personnel. What's really interesting though is you go back to the San Francisco game and uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo was ten of eleven for one hundred and twenty six yards, I believe. <laughs> In that game, his yards per completion were like above 12. His yards per completion for the whole game were somewhere around seven as an average. So they really did some damage there. Um, nothing crazy schematically from the play action. A lot of fullback leaking into the flat. A lot of a little bit of over route running. A little bit of digs off of the play action. Simple stuff. I don't think this has to be a game where Mike Shula, who's going to really be the guy designing the, the more complex plays here, I don't think it's going to be a game where they flash a lot of that at all, especially being week one. I think this is one where Pat Shermer, it's, it's his opening first you know, first game as a head coach for the New York Giants. I think he's going to want to stick with what he does best, and that's play calling within the structure of the game. It's not designing new plays. So I think it's going to be basic stuff to, again, more than what we saw in the preseason for sure in the passing game, but a lot more – uh, kind of stuff to keep the chains moving. And uh, Brent Coleman did a really nice preview video on YouTube. Um, but one of the biggest things that he highlights, kind of the most important thing, is that third and long is what you have to stay out of yes. if, if you're facing off against this, this Jaguar team. This wasn't just Coleman looking at basic statistics. DVOA at Football Outsiders, third and long. These guys were ranked number one by like a long shot. It was a negative 85.1% DVOA. Those wow. that those, those people that right, those are people that follow DVOA, like that number doesn't even make any sense. I would look, think that would be like an aberration because the next closest ranking, I think, was somewhere is like negative 25% DVOA for the next team. So you you cannot really you don't want to rely on being in third and long. Um, so I do believe it's gonna be play action passes. What was interesting is, and again, to kind of really dive into it, what teams like the Patriots and the Steelers did was attack the flats very aggressively. Yes. Cover three and cover four areas of the field. The only thing that I don't like about that for the Giants, if you want to say, hey, okay, that's great, run OBJ on a five-yard out route and and throw it to Bouye's side, their cornerback, who's not super twitchy. Let's do that. Let's challenge them at, at their strengths. I that That's not really Shermer style. That's more of like a, almost like a McAdoo type. Right. And so he, what Shermer's going to want to do, I think, is set up Eli to make not easier throws, but throws that are much more simple that don't rely him to make a perfect execution every play, every single play. So I'm actually looking for, like I said, shorter routes that are more in the middle of the field. And then I do think a little bit of an interesting kind of thing that no one's really talking about or many or few people are talking about is the Jaguars are a little susceptible to over routes. And what we mean by over routes are um, – Plays run from this most likely from what well, we saw all se- preseason from the Giants, basically. Well, and that's the thing that team where they I, hit. I didn't want to just refer to hey, like you know, a bunch of Davis Webb's throws that he made. Great no, but what about the second game with? Uh, I'm sorry, the third preseason game with the Jets when he hit all those. Are those not over routes that he hit consistently with Shepard and then the one to Ingram at the beginning of the game? The one was the one was, and I and I didn't check every one of those, and you're exactly right. You, you, you should. 
Manning did make those throws, but I can only verify for sure off the top of my head that one was. And um, are you talking about the Ingram play, the second of the game? Uh, no, actually, I think it was a Shepherd play. It was a Shepherd okay. play. It was closer to the sideline, and um, yeah. So obviously, so, so there, 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 uh, there, there definitely could be more. Why this is so key against the cover three, mostly what is what the Jaguars play cover three defense, is interestingly when they when they take a side of their field and they play it in man coverage. Um, they a lot of times play sides, and 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 what this means is basically that um, uh, if 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 the Giants come out in a three by one wide receiver set, and a lot of teams do this, the team the 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 isolated X wide receiver, the Jaguars like to play boundary lock to that guy, and what that boundary lock basically means for cover three is it's basically man. So if you can vision though, if you play man on that one side of the field, the deep third is not there on that side of the field and zone because that player that deep third player is occupied in man. So what teams like to do is throw deep crossing type routes to that deep, that unoccupied third. The question is how do the Jaguars account for it somehow, and or not somehow, but it, or in, in a few different ways. The most predominant way they do, it's really interesting, they take their Mike linebacker and he reads the two and three wide receivers on that three by one wide receiver set, and he actually follows them where they go. So it's almost like a pattern match type, type, type cover, and he takes over that deep third position. Well, that's a huge advantage if you've got Sterling Shepard running that right. deep route against Telvin Smith. Smith is very, very fast, but it's almost impossible for these guys to uh, to take that coverage deep to what's called carrying that wide receiver that far down the field. The key is it's kind of a knockout blow. It's not really a blow you can do often because it's going to require a two and a half at least to really a three to three and a half type uh, you know uh, seconds worth of pocket time for Eli Manning. Which again is not not normal. <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that's not how you base your game plan off of. So, just a little insight to what may be a knockout blow that deep third area, the deep the, the deep third area where uh, where the, the Jaguars are playing man. Yeah, and they could get to that. I don't think they're gonna you know feature that too often, like you said, because it puts a, puts the puts them in a in a in a high pressure situation because it requires the offensive line to to protect for a little bit longer. But what I do think they're gonna be able to attack the, the Jaguars based on what you just said as well is with these underneath passes to Saquon Barkley, just they may not even be designed routes to Barkley. It's just a product of if the Jaguars are playing a lot of cover three and cover four, like you said, Manning already said it earlier this offseason. He said it twice, actually. He said, the thing I'm most excited about for this new season is the fact that I have somebody to throw the ball to underneath and a way to attack zone defense is something he didn't have, didn't feel like he had in the past. Um, so that's actually what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. If you're, if you, if what you're saying is true and they're playing a lot of these zone defenses, I think Barkley underneath is going to play a huge, huge role, even on these just dump downs where there's nothing open right away. And Manny makes a quick decision to get the ball to him. It's a better option than it ever was. Barkley can do a lot of things after the catch and turn plays that may look like two, you know, one, two, three, four yard gains into first downs. Um, and maybe, you know, into touchdowns if he takes, if he gets the right angle. So I'm interested in seeing that. I'm also interested in seeing, you know, if it tra- if what we saw during the preseason translates to the regular season, will we see Ingram, Evan Ingram, line up as the lone bound receiver? And he's now been fully cleared from his concussion, so he's good to go. I think he'll play a full complement of snaps. He's not even on the injury report. Um, will he be the lone X? How will that affect it? Will they continue to use Odell Beckham Jr. in the slot? It's a good way to get him away from uh, A.J. Bouye and, and Jalen Ramsey. Put him in the slot. Will they do that? I think they will in this specific matchup. Uh, especially um what is there anything else you want to see on the offensive side of the ball you you think we'll see 
Uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the right way to think of it. And I think even maybe, you know, some routes to the fullback Shane Smith's right. stuff, and, you know, to, to those open flats. And if, and if the Jaguars play man, I, I honestly, the, the giant strength is their position players. Everyone yeah. knows that. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be afraid of that if I were, if I were Shermer, especially with, with what, with what he can do, if they're going to predominantly do that, which I don't think they will, but they, right. I think what they're going to try to do is confuse Eli a lot with two deep pre-snap looks into one deep into one deep actual coverages yeah meaning you know cover one cover three but from a wacky look initially and get him to freeze a little bit you know what whether that whether that i think eli knows that too so okay kind of it's kind of strength on strength there in terms of that and so anyway i i think i think this i think by the second half this this offense is going to be rolling me too i i've said it before i said it in my prediction we're going to get to that in a second because i'm going to make us do predictions every week and then look back at how bad poorly we predicted the score but i said it earlier when i did my prediction for 24 7 i think this game is going to be a lot more high scoring than people think i would bet the over if i was gambling on the game on the over under um i think both these teams are going to hit some big plays off the play action pass and i don't think the giants i think that Bortles is going to hit more big plays in the pass game than people realize uh, against this Giants defense because a lot of what they did a lot of, you know you talk about the deep over routes that's something I saw a lot from the Jaguars offense last year as well um, and I know you might have seen is that something you also saw when you look back at them yeah a little bit a lot of yeah a lot more Especially down the end of the season with Keelan Cole I thought yeah that and, and they like they like the, the the simple deep post to deep yeah. digs that type of thing for sure right yeah. Um, so the, anyway, just and that's kind of an area of the field where the Giants are still on test. They got Janoris Jenkins, but Eli Apple. I know you're a little higher on him than I am, Nick. Uh, I still need to see it. I'm I'm losing some faith there, and I have absolutely no faith in what they have behind him. A bunch of guys they claimed on waivers and BW Web. But yeah, that's just that's that's so something interesting we'll look for. But yeah, I think it's gonna be high scoring. We'll get to the predictions now. I actually think the Giants are going to win this game, and I think they're going to win this game with a key special teams play. I don't know if it's going to be a forced fumble on the return coverage I don't know if it's going to be a big return from Kalen Clay that's really to me is just a, a product of them blocking well I'm not a huge I wasn't a huge fan of of Sharp or Raymond in special teams or Kalen Clay I don't know much about either I think that really these returns come down to a lot of the blocking and the scheme uh, from special teams coordinator Thomas McGay but I think they have an advantage there clear advantage of special team I think the Giants are going to win this game 27 to 23 they're going to smash the over of 40 I believe it's 43 and a half right now um, so they're going to beat that by six and a half points for, for those gambling. And I think the Giants will win this game. Nick, give me a prediction, a final score, and then let's sign it off. I would not look at the over-unders. I'm an old-school kind of guy. i got to see that weather report. got to verify that weather report <laughs> before, before I chime in there. Um, not really a massive final score indicator here, but I would say this. Uh, I, like I said, I think, I think the second-half adjustments are going to be the key to the game, and I do think the Giants are going to win, and I would look for something in a, on the higher side of the game, but it may come from the second half. The, the win may come from the second-half adjustment where you may be cursing the Giants' defense for the first part of the game but then loving the Giants' defense at the back end. That's Put a score down, Nick. Put a score. <laughs> uh, I think they can – I legitimately think they can put up 24 points, 27 points, like you're saying, 30 points on this team. Um, I think it's going to be 24-27 to, to 17, something like that. Okay, okay. So you think they're going to win by by more than a score. Very interesting. Um, I, you have a lot more faith than I do in this Giants defense right now. Uh, I didn't like what I saw from the pass coverage in the preseason, but time will tell. I mean, it is Blake Bortles. I don't want to give him too much credit. I really don't. Uh, but at the same time, guys, thanks again for tuning in. And on a side note, I know there was some talk. I saw a comment in the uh, – 
in our reviews on iTunes, uh, giving us a, a two-star review, I believe, a three-star review, based solely on the fact that you couldn't hear me very well and I need to improve my mic. Don't worry, guys, for the next show, we are fixing that situation. I will have a better mic rolling for the next show next week when we get a chance to break down the tape from this game and then preview the Cowboys game. That's the podcast I'm most excited for. Since me and Nick started this idea of having this podcast, that's basically the one I've had circled on my schedule. After week one, previewing week two for a lot of reasons. One, we get to actually go based on what Pat Shermer and James Besher show us in the regular season. Two, we get to preview the Dallas Cowboys. It's such a big game every year on this giant schedule. The early season uh, Cowboys game sets the tone for the season. So I do promise the sound will improve. Stick with us. Uh, and again, if you do like the show, please, please do us a favor and rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It's our best way so we can build this product and get it better and better and better. Uh, for for you know for me that's it. Nick, do you want to do you want to sign off and say anything? Uh, no, I mean kind of psyched. Like you said, psyched to get going. All my work will be on, on Tmanic twenty one on Twitter. Yep, I will try to grind up um, as many plays as I can in game. I was doing about four or five uh, for kind of like quick breakdowns as they happen, but a little bit more than maybe the commentators will give. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely get those, and we'll kind of fire up a YouTube channel aggregating all that after the game for maybe guys that don't uh, miss the game and want to see the highlights in a little different way. Uh, so we'll get that all going and have that in the show notes and then we're good to go. Yeah. And you can find me guys on Twitter as well. Dan Schneier, NFL, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R, NFL. <coughs> and just with what Nick just said, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry guys. Just with what Nick just said, if you weren't following <coughs> his Twitter during the preseason, he's breaking down three to five plays, sometimes more during these preseason games. And they were awesome. Like, I, I was watching him during the game, found myself losing focus in some, in some of the Davis web snaps just because I was watching these breakdowns over and over. So take a look at those. Follow us on Twitter. And on that note, we're out for this week. Go Giants. Let's get to 1-0. and Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.